This week's Java is strong and black. As we sit down with Ms. Erica Austin, we're asking some challenging questions. Are we overparenting or investing in our child's dreams? How do we set up our children to win? Welcome to Season 5 of Black Family Table Talk. We are your hosts, Tony and Tony. Our hope is that we create a safe place to sit down to discuss ways to build a strong Black family. Whether it's parenting, relationship building, health, finances, or advocacy, Black Family Table Talk is the voice for Black families. This season is brought to you by ABTF Travels. Join us for an epic adventure of a lifetime as we host an official delegation of artists and art enthusiasts in Ghana, West Africa. Please refer to our products page, blackfamilytabletalk.com forward slash products for more information. Welcome, Erica, to Black Family Table Talk. So happy to have you. So nice to have you. Welcome. Wonderful. I'm very excited to be a part of your podcast. And thanks so much for um, inviting me. We have a common connection, and that is we both went to Howard University. All right. H-U. <laughs> That's great. We'll get right into it. Tell us how you grew up, because everything started when you were really, really young. Sure, absolutely. I you know, started out, as you just mentioned before, um, as a young author. Um, I published my first book um, at the age of nine, entitled What Every Child Should Know About Prayer. And my journey um, is really kind of an interesting one. So I went to see a movie one day with my father. You may recall this movie. It was titled Harriet the Spy came out many years ago, but essentially it was a movie about a young girl who just spied on people and she loved to write. And um, I was really inspired by her passion for writing. And so on the drive home, um, I turned to my dad. I said, you know, dad, I think I want to write a book. And you can only imagine his face, right? I'm a kid and here I am proclaiming I want to write this book. And um, he's, turned around and he's like, okay, well, what do you want to write about, Erica? I paused for a second and I said, I think I'd like to write a book about prayer for children. And just as some context, you know, I grew up in the church having been raised with a very strong spiritual foundation. So the concepts around Christianity and the Bible and prayer were really important to me. So my dad, um, you know, took me to a local CVS pharmacy, bought me a spiral notebook and a pencil, nothing fancy here. We went home. I was super eager to get started with writing the book. Um, I wrote a couple of chapters over the weekend and, you know, brought the chapters to my dad. He was reading it. He's like, OK, this is good stuff. Keep writing. This is good stuff. And, um, you know, throughout the next week, I wrote the other half of the book, another six chapters. And my father took a look at the manuscript. He said, I think this is worth, you know, trying to pursue publishing. Now, this is back in the mid 90s. So at the time, publishers were not accustomed to publishing books written by child authors. 
it was just simply unheard of. Nowadays, you have a lot of child authors out there sharing their story, and this is wonderful. But at the time that I got started, this was not the norm. So my father was shopping my manuscript around to different publishers, and we were getting a lot of rejections. It was, you know, good material. This is interesting. But there just was not a president for it in the marketplace. And so finally, we found a Christian self-publishing company based in Atlanta, which is where I grew up. And um, they took a chance and they they, they decided to, to, to publish my work. And from that path, from that point forward, um, I garnered a lot of attention um, in just the local Atlanta community. Um, you know, I was a part of the Trumpet Awards, Meet the Authors, with the late Congressman John Lewis and um, Zenora Clayton, um, and just did a lot of events around the community because it was, at the time, a very big deal. <laughs> what I really want to say about the takeaway here is the importance of parents investing in their children's dreams, recognizing their children's talents and their gifts, you know, doing what they can to cultivate those gifts because it really makes a world of difference. My father could have simply said, you know, you're too young <laughs> and not have taken me seriously. But he always um, encouraged me to just pursue my passions with, with vigor, with relentless pursuit. And that essentially has gotten me to where I am now. Well, I it's a lot to talk about. Uh, yeah. You're very accomplished. Oh, thank you. But at nine years old, children still learning how to read. You had the ability to write a book. Now, how, how? so where did that inspiration come from? Where was the training that came from? Were you a prodigy child? Or, what was it? <laughs> it's a great question, um, Mr. Tony. Um, I think my response to that is really... My my I was raised by my father in a single parent household just for context. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Tony's like giving me the eye, like, oh wow, this is a new revelation. And my my father exposed me to a lot of arts and culture growing up. Um, he really wanted me to be a well-rounded child. And it's really those formative years in a child's life that's really instrumental to how a child will develop. Um, how they will become, you know, thinking about, you know, Michelle Obama and her greatness, right? And if you read her book, she talks about those formative years where her parents, you know, you know, modest income, not a whole lot to offer, but they did what they had to do to invest in their children's development. I am no different in this case. My father, you know, we, we, I come from humble beginnings. I didn't grow up in a wealthy family, but my father leveraged what resources he had to make sure that I was exposed to black arts, black culture, culture at large. Um, I was in the Girl Scouts. Um, you know, I was civically involved. Um, I attended different marches. I mean, Atlanta, a lot of culture, as you know, um, a lot going on in that city. Um, and so he really exposed me to a lot where I was able to, at a very young age, identify my passions and my interests and leverage my strengths. Wow, that is really so simple, but yet so profound at the same time. I remember growing up and and, and I, I don't know, 
I just, well, just just two thoughts that come to mind for me, because I'm in the arts and entertainment business now. I don't know if you know, but I'm the founder of the Atlanta Black Theater Festival. And I remember being exposed to the arts very, very young. And I also remember uh, my parents never telling me that I had a bad idea. And they always encouraged um, me to pursue what what I encountered being in the arts and entertainment industry for so long. I've been in about 16 years. Our parents, the antithesis of that, and their parents who push their children to the point where it's not their dream anymore. It's really the dream of of the parent, and that's a fine balance. It could become very challenging for uh, parents to to just back off. And just allow that to find that balance between backing off and pushing the child forward. And I've seen both of them be have devastating experiences. How can you speak to how your dad was able to encourage you, but yet not push you to the point where you were on the brink of burnout? You you actually continue because you have a whole you have a whole life resume that you're building and experiences to stop and say, okay, this is an achievement. Let's celebrate this. And then the milestones are just important as the, um, the little wins. Can you speak to that? Tony, that is a, a provocative question and a great one. I will say it's a, it's a fine line. As you've just, you know, so eloquently stated, um, I, I fell into public speaking because when you write a book, naturally people want to invite you to talk about it, right? And so, you know, next thing I know, I'm being invited to do all of these speaking events at churches and workshops and conferences and panels with esteemed, you know, um, individuals like the late Congressman John Lewis and um, um, Tyler Perry. I've, you know, I've done book signings at his stage plays when he first got started in Atlanta as a playwright. And um, that can be really challenging as a child because you just don't have tremendous life experience to really um, own, <laughs> you know, this new world, right? As a child prodigy, so to speak. And that really was my life back then. I was super busy. And to answer your question, there came a point maybe after four years of literally being on circuit, doing all these book signings and speaking engagements. I said, you know, dad, I am, I'm burnt out. Like I, I didn't use those words, you know, um, expressly, but I said, you know, I really just want to be a kid. Um, it, it even got to the point I asked him when my friends would come over from school to hang out and play. I was like, Dad, please don't mention my book. <laughs> like, I don't, don't mention it. And I would leave him alone with my friends for a second. And next thing you know, he's got that book out <laughs> showing my friends and talking about it. So, um, you know, but he honored my request back then. I did. Took, I took a break. I took a, took a couple of years off. Um, where I probably could have garnered a lot more attention, could have been, you know, kind of a quote unquote celebrity had I kept going. But I needed that break to just be a kid. And it's very easy, particularly for parents that don't feel as if they've reached their own dreams, to live vicariously through their children. So you want to identify, nurture, 
cultivate your children's interests, their passions, their talents, but be mindful of when it seems to be too much and you need to take a step back and allow them to fully grow into who they are called to be. Good, very good. Yeah. So you're off to Howard University. What did you major in? Why did you select that major? And how is that connected to what you're doing today? Why did you choose Howard too? <laughs> yes, they really true. Okay, I hope this doesn't get me in trouble with you know our our ham tonight, friends. But um, I chose Howard University because I went on a college tour with my father. Howard, it actually, to be quite honest with you in this forum, you know, as a safe space, um, was not my first choice. Um, I wanted to go to school in New York. I was accepted into Pace University. I had this, you know, big dream of living the life in the city and shopping by day and going to school at night, this whole thing. And my dad's and I had gotten accepted into Howard um, at the same time. My father said, well, since we're on the East Coast, why don't we stop by Howard just so you can, you know, check out the campus? And we, we went on the, the college tour I fell in love. I mean, it was literally like a did the show a different role, like the Hillman campus. I was like, I fell in love with the history. I mean, Howard, as we Tony, you know this, being you know a fellow alumna, is the nucleus of Black progressive thought. You know, um, leadership for America and the global community. At Howard, you don't just receive a world-class education, but you have professors who are so invested in your growth as a personal, as as personally and professionally, who want to see you reach your highest potential. You can't get that anywhere else. I can tell you. <laughs> and um, go ahead, Tony. Yeah. And I just wanted to add to that. And then what it does is it feeds you to do the same. So there is a, there's a, it's a domino effect, but go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. You said that so well. You know this, you know, being an alumni, you know, it's, and, and we are charged when we graduate from Howard University, we are given a little pen and I still have my pen. It's the bearer of the torch pen. And what that means is that what you receive here. At this institution, you pay it forward in the community. You are groomed to make a difference, not just in America, but in the global community, right? You're given the tools to be incredibly impactful. So that's why I chose to attend Howard University. Tony, to your point, I majored in speech and applied communications. So the school, we call it the school C, but school communications. Um, and I minored in sociology. And I ended up getting a master's in sociology from American University later on in life. Um, and I taught as an adjunct professor for a couple of years as well. So um, that's a little bit about my background. I think the speech and applied communications major gave me the confidence to um, take on public speaking. <laughs> Sometimes I run my mouth, I run it too much. But um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great school. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity and the honor to be a part of this amazing institution. What are you doing now? I mean, because you've got a whole host of of um, products and to empower young people. What what did you see in your world that said to you, we we've, we've got to solve this problem? Or what was the problem? 
Sure. So, you know, my life's work, Tony, as you've, you've just stated, is, is youth empowerment. It's very simple. That's what I've been doing since the age of nine. I consider it to be my life's work. I don't really talk about it as a brand, but I talk about it as my mission, my mantra, why I'm here, my big why. Um, and the reason for that is because I think we have seen that there has been a serious disinvestment in youth education youth development work. A lot of the nonprofits that work in this space have been impacted by severe budget cuts, right? Staffing limitations. It's been a very fragmented approach to how we approach empowering our youth. Our youth need actors in this space, you, me, others. It takes a village to nurture, cultivate, and really provide our young people with the tools to recognize their gifts and talents and their inner potential to reach their, their 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 highest good, so to speak. And so that's really what I'm all about. I recognize that at the age of nine, I really wanted to make a difference in the lives of my peers. So I've been doing this work for a really long time. I've met some amazing people um, that are all about youth empowerment. And I believe essentially that it takes a village to do this in a way that's truly impactful. What did you see that you need, where you needed to do this? I mean, what was in your horizon that you said, listen, youth need to be empowered? Well, my initial journey was writing my first book at the age of nine, What Every Child Should Know About Prayer. So the focus at that time was, you know, how to help young people connect to Christ, how to help young people recognize the value of prayer. And from my work and conversations that I had, you know, meeting different people and seeing a much greater need for youth empowerment, that charged me or that inspired me rather to develop um, or establish a company called ECRA Growth and Educational Services Incorporated. And through that company, there is essentially a menu of initiatives to propel youth empowerment on the global front. So, um, for example, um, I'm getting ready to launch the ECRA Youth Entrepreneurship Academy um, next month. Very excited about that. Um, I have a cadre of business professionals and entrepreneurs who have been tapped to provide our youth with the life skills and principles to start their own business. So that's one element. I also have a children's prayer-focused apparel line. What better way to introduce your young people to the principles of Christianity and spiritual development by arming them <laughs> with those, those products, right? You know, with the prayer-focused backpack, the pencils, the stationary line, right? Arming your children with the power of prayer. So that's another element. I'm always looking to uh, collaborate with individuals and nonprofits and other or organizations to do collective work towards figuring out how do we invest in our young people, right? What are those solutions? How do we come together to do this work, you know, on a greater scale? Mm, that's great information. Great, great information. Quick question. How are you funded? One. Two, what success stories can you share with us from some of the participants in your programs? 
Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tony, for that question. How am I funded? I am self-funded, meaning that through my various initiatives, through my book, and I have another book coming out that will be released this spring. It's a life skills and leadership guide for teenage girls. Um, I am able to use those funds to um, continue my work around youth empowerment. I've been able to give out scholarships to students who are pursuing higher education. I'm very proud of that work. Um, I'm looking forward to doing more community-based work, particularly around the holiday season, because there are just so many communities that are in need. Um, where resources are incredibly limited. And I believe we all need to show up and really show out in terms of paying it forward to these communities. In terms of success stories, one young lady um, who participated in a workshop that I offered several years ago around life skills leadership development. At the time, she was a teenage mother and she really had a negative outlook on life, didn't really feel like there were a lot of opportunities for her. And I took her under my wings as like, you know, a mentee, protege. And um, she reached back out to me, maybe it was like seven years later. And she said, you know, Miss Austin, I want to thank you for you believing in me because I was able to get my GED. I'm now working for a nonprofit as an assistant program director and her kids are doing well. She's thriving. She's surviving. (laughs) And I couldn't be more proud. And I don't say this in a boasting manner. I say this because you never know how your words, how your efforts will make a difference in someone's life. Don't take for granted your potential and ability to pay it forward. So I'm really proud of just that one success stories. There's been many others, but um, just to give you sort of a flavor of why this work is so important. I think you you really hit the nail on the head because I I don't know where, how, or where we as a community got here, but we're so hard on each other. And I I have this saying, and I said, it's a a long way up from the N-word. And I say that because I want people to know that when you know your history, you can see how far you've come in spite of your history. And we could be a little bit kinder and more gentle towards each other. And I think if we take that position, when we see young people out here, just to be a little bit more compassionate, um, give them a little bit more grace and mercy, especially I think in the church, I think I got my most Critical encounters or engagement were in the church where I was so criticized. If if I didn't have a relationship with God Himself, I would have I would have never gone back to church. With this this prayer guide and this leadership guide, skills and leadership guide, can you give us uh, a quick maybe one two points that we can take away as as adults and young people? trying to make it and navigate our life in this U.S. of A. Yes, absolutely. Um, and thank you for those words, Tony. I think we all need to hear it. I mean, we're really living in very challenging times just with the, all that the pandemic has brought in terms of the loss of life and sickness and uncertainty about our future and going back to life as we once know it, once knew it. Um, and I think we need to be more grounded in faith than ever before. Um, That's one of the core principles of my new book coming out, Poised for Greatness, where I talk about 
this idea of having faith. Um, even if things have not manifested in your life, you have to believe wholeheartedly, you know, um, with the unadulterated truth that what God has for you will manifest in due time, but you have to put the work in. Um, I talk about the importance of being very diligent with your passion, finding time every day to work on your craft, to network, um, to figure out how do you pivot? How do you reach that next level? I'm very practical in my approach because, you know, we all have these lofty goals and we have to work towards those goals, but we have to do so in incremental steps, right? In building blocks. So I do talk about that um, in my book. And most importantly, I talk about the importance of really having allegiance to your passion, being very authentic in how you show up in various spaces. I believe that in order for you to make a difference, you have to believe with your whole soul, with your heart, with everything in you, that this is what you are called to do. Because when you are living a life built with passion, you will reach your highest potential. Like, and that's the key. That's the magic. So all of those principles taken into account, that's really my roadmap for how I approach life. And if I can share, you know, gems with other people, this is exactly what I would say. Uh, can you tell us how people can get in touch with you, follow you, get your information, okay. give us your, your elevator speech? All right, my elevator speech. Okay, really quick. My website is ericaaustin.com. Just first and last name. Um, there you can connect with me on Facebook, Erica for Youth, Twitter, Erica for Youth, and uh, LinkedIn as well, um, Erica Austin. Um, you know, simply my handle there. And I look forward to connecting. I think, you know, we need to keep the discussion going. Let's connect. Um, I, I'd love to hear from you. I publish on a regular basis, monthly empowerment newsletter. So please do consider subscribing um, through my website. And Tony, Tony, I want to thank you all for um, really fostering these very important community conversations, this very important work. And it's been an honor to be a part of this experience today. Well, we're trying to be the voice for Black families and for nurturing, cultivating, and keeping us together. But I can tell you one thing. Now that we're doing this podcast, we're finding people like you who are gems in the community, who have their sleeves rolled up, doing the work, not looking to be front and center and seen, but looking to actually do the work and make a difference. So our hats go off to you. Thank you for doing work. Absolutely. It takes a village. And they, I'm grateful for all that your podcast represents, Black Family Table Talk. We need to have these conversations within our community. It's a need that you all are meeting, and I'm grateful to add my voice to the mix. Thank you. Thank you. That's Black Family Table Talk. That's what's up. That's what's up. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Black Family Table Talk. We pray that you have gotten some tools to put into your strong Black Family toolbox. Be sure to visit our Black-owned business directory on our website at blackfamilytabletalk.com forward slash products where you can shop and recycle dollars back into our community. 
you can also join our family. It's free to join and you won't miss out on special discounts and product offers reserved exclusively for you, our Black Family Table Talk subscribers. Tune in next time for more episodes of Black Family Table Talk and be sure to tell a friend. Under Section 107 of the Copyright Act 1976, allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comments, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that may otherwise be infringing. The news and opinions expressed on Black Family Table Talk do not necessarily reflect various platform hosts. All topics are for entertainment purposes only. Discretion is strongly advised and all commentary is alleged. This is a Micah 68 Media LLC production.